Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. As a kid, Monica Sorrell used to write herself into stories. She'd print out scripts from Saturday Night Live and bring them to school on Monday. She'd act out the skits and direct her friends. You could tell film school was in her future. And now she's written the story she sees around her in Little Haiti, the Miami neighborhood where she grew up. Monica wrote and directed her first feature film, Mountains. It's a story of a family in Little Haiti being closed in on by development and gentrification. The father works in construction, tearing down the homes in his own neighborhood. Monica saw her neighborhood being torn down in pieces. She knew there was a story to tell there. Ulite Arts in Miami Beach awarded her a $50,000 grant to help make the film. It's part of their residency program. She found actors and crew right here in South Florida. She shot the whole thing in Miami. And she treats Little Haiti as a character in the film, arguably the main character. The movie's on the film circuit for now. It's already won a special award at the Tribeca Film Festival. Its immediacy speaks to what Monica sees going on outside our doors and how art is her way of doing something about it. Welcome, Monica. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, um, it's so great to have you here and to be able to talk about this film and about something that's really poignant that we're all that we're all experiencing in mm-hmm. one way or the other when we live in South Florida, which is this, this displacement, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the, which is kind of at the heart of your film. Um, you know, I, I, I guess the, the interesting place to start is that this kind of, the idea for this film started with an actual thing that you saw with your own eyes happening, right? right? Yeah, I, um, at the time, this was 2018, uh, you know, Ulay Arts, uh, came out with the announcement that they were going to do this program, uh, give $50,000 to filmmakers so that, you know, we can kind of join the feature film indie scene. You know, Miami uh, was always uh, making shorts and always had shorts in in major festivals, Mm -hmm. but uh, features were something that a lot of us didn't have the infrastructure to move into. So um, thankful for Ulite for starting that initiative. But at the time, I didn't think that I would apply. I didn't think that I was worthy of applying, and neither did my um, my friend and producer, Robert Colomb. Uh, so, you know, we would make jokes. We would, like, uh, you know, as the deadline was nearing, we would start making jokes with each other, like, $50,000 idea, and then we'd, like, say something silly and laugh. But... Uh, we were in Wynwood working in O Cinema, uh, which is now gone. Um, mm-hmm. And at that time, there were houses getting demolished every day. I was watching literally families go from gathering on the porch to disappearing to like a sign on their door to the house being leveled into like a parking lot. So this was just our reality. And, and one day we were walking to lunch and we see a, a demolition worker just finish his shift, saying goodbye to his uh, colleagues mm-hmm. and start to cross 29th Street into, I guess, what they call Wynwood Norte now, which is still like that suburban part of Wynwood. Wynwood Norte, they, they call yeah, it? That's so funny. Yeah, yeah. It's an old Puerto Rican neighborhood exactly, for a long time. Exactly, yeah. yeah, and it still is, though obviously it's shifting, not as quickly as, you know, the south side of the neighborhood. But watching him go in there, you know, I have no idea if he actually lived there or not, but just the image of, like, imagining him walking just a couple more blocks to his house really stuck with me and so 
I turned to Robert at that moment and I was like, $50,000 idea. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. That, that It all came together in that, mm-hmm. that one thought, right? And from there, it just became a writing, I mean, not just, it became a writing prompt, I would imagine. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, when I, when I mentioned that, I was like, imagine a demolition worker lives so close to home that he could walk there and he's active in demolishing his own neighborhood. Like, Robert did not laugh and he looked at me and was like, okay, we're applying to this, we can do this. And uh, a couple days later, we had like a, we pulled an all-nighter. We came up with the whole story. Wow, you kind of outlined the whole story. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So it was, you really had like this fire of inspiration then. Yeah, you know, we, I learned we were the last application in. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Yeah, like we like just hit that deadline. Um, And yeah, we had to have a fully formed idea. And so we we just stayed up all night and, and talked for days before that about what this story could be, what we wanted to say. And I wanted, you know, Winwood was on my mind, but little Haiti, um, I had moved back to Miami in 2014. And I started seeing the same things that were happening to Winwood slowly start to happen to little Haiti. So that was of real concern to me and so we decided to make sure whatever we write about the focus was on that neighborhood and what was what we perceived as was to come right like that part of that part of Winwood's uh I guess you could say south of 29th mm-hmm. the the gentrification is complete it's done yeah like yeah. like Winwood uh, uh o cinema was totally raised that whole block it was yeah. on the block next to it was mm-hmm. flattened completely the, the only o cinema now is the one on Miami, Miami Beach, Beach right yeah um, so yeah, so uh, you look at a, an area like Alapata or mm-hmm. like or, or Little Haiti in your case, and say like, this is a cautionary tale. Like this is where this could go. Right. Um, so I want to. I want what your movie does so well is that uh, it dismantles the word gentrification into pieces that you can understand. Like, what does it mean to uh, for when a neighborhood gets gentrified? And in your movie, you show like these moments of harassment. Like, and by that I mean like. Real estate agents calling this family, uh, you know, the, they're knocking down houses, and the the person say, "Oh, make sure to water that down so the cement dust doesn't float into the house next door." So people are dealing with houses next door, the sound of construction, the noise of construction. You know, ultimately, there's you know, new people move in, and they're at leisure, blocking people's paths to get into just to get into their gates of their house. Like you really do a granular thing of being able to show this um and to do that you have to know those details right mm-hmm. talk to me about about like how you dug into those those moments that that you thought about like these are ways that we can make this a, a real issue for people yeah um well i i think you you know nailed it in that we wanted to figure out what does gentrification look like and not like an academic sense but to people that have never heard the word before to people that are, you know, genuinely affected by it. What would it look like? What would it feel like? Um, and so a lot of these things, well, I'll go back and say in 2014, when I did come back um, to Miami and start noticing what was happening to little Haiti, I I, I was afraid uh, and I, I felt that I should do something. And so I started joining organizations and um you know, I started organizing essentially and, and trying to uh, to protest and like stop this and like let people know. And 
I, you know, I got burnt out really quickly because that oh, work is yeah, so tough. tough, you know. So you got into community organizing. You're like, we got to get we got to get this community to, yeah. to speak, to have a voice. Yeah, uh, we got to we got to do something about this. What are we going to do? And, you know, I was younger and I was more <laughs> optimistic, I guess. Um, and uh, what did that look like? What did you like? What was the kind of stuff that you were doing that that proved to be ultimately pretty, pretty exhausting? All of it was exhausting for me. I mean, it's just a lot of emotional work. Um, like, to, I mean, but what does that mean? Like, to but, but it's like, just so we're going to break down, we broke down gentrification, community organizing. What does it look like? Yeah, well, I remember helping organize a protest mm. uh, in the neighborhood. It was a May Day protest, which is uh, for workers' rights. And mm-hmm. not only were we talking about raising minimum wage, but we were also alerting the neighborhood, like, they're coming, you know what I mean? And so, you know, we had this big protest, which was very successful, you know, shutting down streets, going around, you know, 54th Street, 2nd Avenue. Um, but which then is like the heart of, of Little Haiti. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We were right in the middle of Little Haiti. People were joining from their houses. It was really great. It was heartwarming. But I think the things that stuck out were, you know, just hearing the stories of people, like the individual stories had such an impact on me um, that it made it hard to function. It made it hard to, like, I, I feel like, uh, I know people say this all the time, it's kind of corny at this point, but like, I do feel like an empath in that way where it's just like, um, to take on all those stories and be able to turn that into something productive is something that organizers do really well. And I felt like, that wasn't working for me. Um, it seemed like your your gift was then saying like, "All right, what is it that I do? Oh, I tell stories in film." Exactly what happened. So here's how we here's mm-hmm. how I use that that skill set. Can can we talk about the the movie a little bit? Because um, you know I, I feel like you deal with so many issues. You deal with race um, because there are you know like on those job sites there are you know people from different working class backgrounds meeting like literally in a neighborhood um yeah. and you and you deal with those really well you mentioned your your co-writer um uh, robert colomb mm-hmm. uh, is cuban 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 american yeah. background mm-hmm. so like he you guys work together to kind of be able to write about those those places where the where those tensions meet yeah you know i think we were like how do we give this film weight like we mm. could just focus on you know the story which is a demolition worker is dealing with the gentrification of his neighborhood. But, you know, how do we talk about Miami? How do we use this film to talk about everything that Mm. he and I were talking about at that time? And and so I think one of the things I wanted to talk about was the racial dynamics of Miami at work. You know, Mm. I think that Miami is really segregated and there, you know, it's totally possible to not encounter people until you both are at your place of work. Hmm. And just thinking about, like, my mother's experiences, um, I, I wanted to shed light on uh, essentially the power dynamics that are at play in this city and how they're, they're complicated in a way because there's a lot of tense uh, history there. Um but what does that look like on the ground? What does that look like on the day-to-day? And so Robert being Cuban and myself being Haitian, we both were able to come together with our own individual experiences and, and have this sort of subplot about uh, Xavier's relationship with his Cuban boss, his younger Cuban boss and, and Cuban co-worker and, and black American co-worker. And there's, there's this, um, this other thing I, I really love. It's that 
there's so much of Little Haiti in it, the Little Haiti Cultural Center mm-hmm. and the streets. Obviously, it's all it's all filmed there, but it adds this this element that you really feel connected to the place. And even um, the one of the actors are the actors are from down here as well, right? Most of them are our, our two leads, actually, uh, Xavier, played by Atibo Nazaire, and Esperance, played by Sheila Nozier, are based in Brooklyn. And uh, and the the actor uh, Chris Renoir, who's Chris a Renoir. who's a comedian, yes, he is really great, and he is really actually funny. Like there's yes. there's scenes of people doing improv because he wants to be a comedian without mm-hmm. giving the movie away. Um, and uh, there's actual scenes of comedy there, and it's it's it really is one of the bright spots. Yeah, of stuff that can be very that are otherwise heavy during the movie. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tell me about that about that that decision to try to get in there and use actual spaces. Uh, the Villain Theater is in it. Um, which is right there on the corner of the Little Haiti Cultural Complex. And, um, yeah, talk to me about that, about using uh, that that actual comedy and actual places to in the film. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the work of writing was just, like, what I call memory mining. So mm-hmm. we're just actually, we were privileged to be able to even go to spaces that were on our minds. And so Villain was something... Um, that's such an interesting place because I've seen it grow from its origins at like Gramps and Winwood to having this building. Mm. But it's such an interesting place in that I remember who was the previous tenant of that uh, of that space and how they were saying we're going to have to leave here because the rents oh. keep going up. Um, but also it being a place of aspiration, you know, Chris Renoir actually does stand up and and improv there um, as do many people uh, in the area and I remember the reason why we wanted villain so bad was because I remember being outside for an event or something and a a little boy a a little boy in the neighborhood came up like what is this place and I was like oh it's it's villain theater and he was like do you think I can come in here and I was like I kind of paused because like I don't know like you know Villain was a great partner with us for the for the film, I, I have to say. But I also was just like, you know, this is sort of like a transplant in this neighborhood. Is this for the people um, that live here? Can this little boy find community in this space? And so I, you know, it was great to be able to like kind of think about those questions while also not only celebrating like the Miami comedy scene, which is small but mighty, but mm. also looking through using the comedy scene as a way to talk about like aspiration, you know, the Gen Z millennial economy and like the intergenerational divide between like uh, uh, a Caribbean American kid and their immigrant parent. Well, I, I, I think that there's a lot of that to get into with your movie because you hit on so many of those things. And also you mentioned um, your mother's experience uh, working in Little Haiti. And I want to ask you specifically about that. Our guest today is Monica Sorrell. She's a Haitian-American filmmaker from Miami. She's currently an artist in residence at Ulite Arts. Her first feature film, Mountains, premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. Now, I understand that the, the, the roots of your connection to, to like the neighborhood where this film is is you have your personal roots in it. Like, you grew up kind of in North Miami, but you and your mom spent a lot of the time in Little Haiti, right? Right, yeah. Tell me, what brought you there? What was it that, that created such a strong connection for you? You said your mom's had had experiences there that you kind of related to when you were writing this film. 
Yeah. Well, you know, my mother, when she moved to the United States in the 80s. Uh, from Haiti, I assume? From Haiti. Okay. Yes. She she moved to Little Haiti. Um, that was uh, kind of like the landing, you know, strip for a lot of, of, of Haitians in the diaspora. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Little Haiti is like where we, uh, our, our first stop and then, you know, as uh, we become upwardly mobile, uh, we move north and north and north and north. Um, and so uh, she was there during the 80s. She started working in uh, different Haitian nonprofits in the area since that time. Um, and you would I, like come to work with her? I would go to work with, yeah, We I grew up in North Miami, but I would go to work with her at uh, Center for Haitian Studies, which is like between like right a little bit north of 81st street it's still there um it's really fun it, it kind of sticks out it's it's kind of like one of the only haitian places still in that area um and yeah I, w- I you know she's a single mother so i would spend a lot of my time at work helping her you know uh making posters for uh you know the upcoming festival or like helping with clients that were coming in. And so I spent like a good amount of my childhood in the neighborhood. Um, and I, I think that's where I became familiar with the space. Uh, talk to me about like that. Like sometimes when you have that time to yourself as a kid, you're an only child. I am. And you have time to create. You were, you would, I mean, for the, you, we were talking earlier about, you know, you being the kid who would bringing scripts to school, like mm-hmm. kind of write little plays for you and your friends to act out. Did you, where did that, that feeling come from? Like this idea that, that did you want to, did you know that, did you know that you wanted to make movies and make film or act in them? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think I always did. I know a lot of people are like, I didn't know what I wanted to do hmm. until, or I still don't know what I want to do, but I, I very much was always drawn to film and media. And so when I was a kid, I, wanted to be an actress um and so like i was obsessed with that and you know being an only child or being raised an only child um you have a lot of free time and so i i would fill that with a lot of movies a lot of books a lot of tv shows and then i would use that to make those things you know once i've like rewound that tape a bunch of times now i I, I was able to like be imaginative and like imagine myself in them and almost like write things for me and write things for my friends for like us to or- practice. Original stuff? Original yeah, things, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I'd watch like, you know, age appropriate. I watched a Mary Kane Ashley <laughs> movie and then I would imagine me and my best friend like as them. Um, and, you know, we'd, we'd write these things in, in, in aftercare and, hmm. and would act them out on the playground with each other or even my, by myself in my room. Um, and it was it's weird because like I, I look back, it, it feels normal. But um, the more I talk to people, they're like, okay, that's abnormal that, you know, like a, a 12-year-old is reading feature-length scripts on, on the computer at yeah, home. Yeah, that's, that's pretty time. particular. That's pretty particular, <laughs> you're reading scripts. Uh, so who were, who were the people that, like, were there people that were encouraging you along the way? Like, who were some of the folks that first told you, like, this is the thing you can do? Or did you just kind of empower yourself to do it? I think I was just audacious and mm. I just wanted to do It's so strange because uh, there's not, I didn't know any, you know, 
young black female filmmakers growing up so I don't even know where I thought that that was even like something I was allowed to do Hmm. Um, but it was never like a question I was like I want to do this there's nothing else I like there's nothing else I know so um, and it's fun for me so this is just what I'm gonna do Um, and I think through reading scripts and, and through writing my own things I slowly pivoted away from wanting to be an actress and deciding that I, I actually wanted to spend more time behind the camera and like write and direct and produce my own films. That's a, how did you uh, kind of go into that world? You went to film school, right? UCF was that part? I of- did. I went to film school before that. When I decided, I was uh, lucky enough to go to something called Florida Film Institute which is still around, they uh, would have these like weekend film programs at the Miami Children's Museum. Hmm. And so that was my first time being on a set, like learning how to make a movie from start to finish. Um, and you said you were around other filmmakers locally. Like like you helped, you were kind of like uh, part of the production staff for Moonlight, right? I was. This was after when I came back uh, in 2014. Um, a year later, I was able to start volunteering on the castings for Moonlight. And from there, uh, the producers, for whatever reason, trusted me and hired me as uh, the background casting uh, coordinator. So I would go into the communities and like meet real people and try to get them to be a part of of the film well that that film did something interesting where it it, again a lot of it was shot in Miami Mm -hmm. and and there is that sense of it too there's that sense in kind of I think in your film too where there is the Miami being a character feels legitimate like there is something that adds to the legitimacy of the film when you see that my that Miami is a character in it and, and little Haiti is a character in it right yeah I think it's important that you see the pork and beans on film for example mm-hmm. it's not a place that I don't think you've ever seen in a mainstream film before and you know like I said like those were real I didn't I didn't cast actors like those were like real people and I feel like they added to like the legitimacy of the film as well but I think what Moonlight did for us as filmmakers I met a lot that's where I met Robert Mm. and I met uh, a few other of my friends that you know I work with on films and seeing the success of that movie really emboldened us to let us know that people actually care about Miami films and not just Miami film but marginalized Miami films you know not just the bad boys and Miami vices but Uh, personal narratives and so I think uh, that sort of helped us uh, shift gears and and really go headfirst into our own personal filmmaking. So you kind of create this community that Mm -hmm. decides that okay we're going to tell these other stories not just the big Hollywood blockbuster uh, Will Smith Martin Lawrence story but like the the, the smaller stories the quieter stories uh, which and this movie is uh, I think Quite is a good is a good way for it because like there's moments like so much of the acting is done expressively. There's a lot of uh, ch- um, like Creole and a lot of Spanish like just translated on screen. But whole moments where you know you're you're hearing the the language of Miami, the many languages of Miami in the in the movie. And I think that like was that intentional to, this idea that, oh, yeah. to bring that in. Yeah, there was a moment where uh, we were wondering. A very brief moment where we were wondering, like, you know, should this be, should they speak English and have an accent, you know, like, in, in order to make it, like, more palatable, I guess, to mainstream audiences. But we always were like, 
you know, this is a micro-budget film. It really gives us the freedom to make as real of a story as we want. And I think language was really, really important to us and that we got it exactly right. Um, yeah, like there's there's a the moment where the husband and wife are sitting at the table and uh, and uh, one of them says, Krik. And yeah. then like, and the other one says crack, yeah. like, like, which is so much of uh, like, explain that, like the Haitian. Uh, it's like a, it's the, it's the way to start a story. It's like, it's, it comes from like sort of uh fireside storytelling. The first, the storyteller says crick, the audience says crack, and then the story begins. And it's like the title of like Edwidge Danicott's exactly, like yeah. seminal book, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. crick, crack. Mm-hmm. Um, but like so much of that, I, that like you, when you look at moments like that, uh, were those all intentional things, like saying this is what makes this this story feel closer? To, yes, to us. absolutely. Yeah, we we you know, like I said earlier, we were just like mining our memory, and and it, it, that part, for example, is not translated. So like, it's sort of like a if you know, you know sort of moment. You can look into it if you want, mm. but um, I know that Miami audiences and and more so Haitian people understand that, and that was uh, sort of what our main goal was was to make sure that whoever was watching this the closer you are to the story the richer of an experience you have or you know the closer to your own story uh it will be right um talk to me about some of getting some of those other details right like what what are some of the other details that you're you're proud to have kind of shown off in that movie that you're like this tells this tells this you know the story of Miami in a way that uh, someone from the outside might not have gotten, you know? I'm not sure. I mean, I think I'm really happy with the production design, for example. Tell me about um, them. Our production designer is Helen Pena, uh, a Dominican filmmaker, and our art director is Nadia Wolf, who is a local artist here. And I picked them specifically because, obviously, you know, we have a very similar culture. Um, but I wanted someone that understood the home and how the home feels and how it looks mm. and like the colors of it and the warmth of it. Yes, the details of that house, like I smell the the cooking. Mm-hmm, exactly, and that's what I wanted. You know, even though you're not there, like you know what the temperature is set at and you know what it smells like, <laughs> and and you know you feel at home. And and um, again, like it's a richer experience the closer you are to it. But for people that don't no Haitian culture, they can walk into that space and uh, start to get an inkling of, of how we live. Right, yeah, there's there's so much like, uh, I know one of our producers, Leslie Hawaii, was like, did you notice all the things on the nightstand? Yeah. Like all the little details. Yes, that was them. I actually, you know, there were some things in the script, like lotto tickets I really wanted, you know, mm. for example. But uh, I really gave them the freedom to like make it their own. And I remember walking into that set and being like, this is insane and it's so perfect like the little uh luggage next to the side table like the 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 materials of the of the sheets you know everything was perfect and so it was important for me to get like crew that understand or understood those nuances and 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 you know could get that across on screen how do you think that that helped you know the spirit of the movie when you have like a local crew and people that are like from down here I mean it's it's getting it's been hard the last few years ever since there's not been a film credit mm-hmm. right to encourage films to be made here if they're not going to get you know money yeah. back for for doing it um but what does it mean like give us t- take me through like some of the some of the things that you think 
would have taken so much explaining to a part of a crew from from not from South Florida. Yeah, I mean, you know, being a filmmaker here, obviously, I I love to make my own films, but I've been on sets from, uh, you know, L.A. crews, mm-hmm. New York crews that come here to use the location, and it's been really. Uh, disrespectful honestly it's it they come with a chip on their shoulder and they don't trust us and they don't think we're smart and they don't think we you know have anything interesting to say and um so the people that actually are of the community end up being sidelined um on these film sets and so yeah it makes it harder to be able to see a future for yourself here um was there was there a moment that like or a couple of those moments that you remember standing out in your mind saying like, when I film a film here, it, this will, X will not happen. Yes, definitely. I mean, I'm not going to name. <laughs> no, no, don't. Yeah, you don't have to name names. Although, listen, we're going to let you spill as much tea as you want. <laughs> I won't name names. But yeah, it was always just like, I don't, we don't need this because I know uh, w- the stories that we tell and the talent that's here I think Miami has such an interesting advantage because we're all for the most part Caribbean kids or immigrant kids and so we tell stories in a very specific way and we have a very interesting outlook and I think all that's needed is you know the infrastructure and I think that's why this Ulite grant was so instrumental I would have never made this film had it not been I would have never thought I was allowed to make a feature had it not been for this grant. And I think that was their goal was to, you know, not uh, keep allowing good talent in the city be sidelined in these uh, bigger um, sets, but instead, like, have the means to be able to make our own. Yeah, like, there, there is something to be said for it if you if sometimes you just feed the talent like mm-hmm. if you they like what i'm asking you is for I, with money i can yeah, do this we're hungry thing. <laughs> we're hungry and we're and we're good and we have a lot to say and you know miami has a, a million untold stories and um i think there's a lot of people here on the ground that are more than equipped to tell them like that's one of those things where like you could end up being a production assistant on some something being filmed by a hollywood mm-hmm. place but instead here you get to tell your own story. Though. In mm-hmm. other words, you get to be the one creating stories here rather than uh, working on some minor crew somewhere else where they are getting tax credits to yeah, film movies, right? Right. And, you know, whenever they're here in Miami, they, they don't get it right. You know, they don't know this place. Um, so to be able to, like, talk about Miami as a place, that, uh, as home, mm-hmm. um, is a very specific experience that I hope more filmmakers get a chance to to take. Our guest today is Monica Sorrell. She's a Haitian-American filmmaker from Miami. Her first feature film, Mountains, premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. So you, you're here you go, your first ever movie. It's, you know, you make the the film festival circuit and it gets like a like a special honor, like a special award at the, mm-hmm. at the Tribeca. What does that do? And especially when you go so hard for Miami, right. so hard for South Florida, but well, specifically Miami in your film, and to see it recognized, that's got to put some wind in your sails, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say like we made this movie so that no one would see it. Like we had hopes that, you know, it would, <laughs> we would find audiences, but it's it continues to be a shock how many people... Uh, see something in this film that 
they can relate to, no matter whether they're in New Hampshire or mm. Northern California or, you know, wherever. Um, yeah, you know, this is just a, a little, this is just our little baby. This is just our little film. And so it's just been really um, humbling and, and an honor to be able to not only be able to share this with audiences outside of Miami, but also uh, be recognized for the work that we did and, and the story that we're telling. Well, it's it, it speaks to how important it is to tell stories from the ground up, right? Uh, versus, you know, all the stories getting getting vetted through different scripts to some big Hollywood studio, and then they come out and do their version of it um, versus the other way around, kind of flipping that. Do you feel like there's more opportunities to do that now? Are you finding more opportunities to do that? Um. You know, I think so. I think with this, uh, more opportunities will come my way. Obviously, I'm just kind of getting my footing in the industry and, mm-hmm. and learning it. And there's so much that um, it, it is coming up in terms of how to make the next thing. Um, but I think that, you know, and, and with all the conversations I've had with people at festivals, whether it's, you know, managers or distributors or production companies, I always make sure that they know that I really want to continue to center Miami uh, in my narratives. And I think they're really open to that. Um, I mean, you could just look at A24 and they have a whole book about Florida that that came out. We had Gabrielle Calise on the show. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there is an interest here. um, And I think that hopefully the people that are able to tell those stories are the people that are actually from those places um, more so than it has been. I'm curious about some of the conversations you've had with people who are kind of learning about the real Miami or the real South Florida through your movie. In other words, like through the film festival, folks in the audience, just what are some of the like surprising conversations that have come out from being able to express specifically what's happening here in, in one of your films? Well, I think what's interesting is I I don't think anyone's ever like, you know, besides, of course, the the colors of little Haiti and how vibrant it is. um, This is a story that people are living in their own neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. you know, so no matter where I am, if I'm in Toronto, for example, we screened at a place that was surrounded by cranes more than Miami, Mm -hmm. you know, they're going through the same sort of rapid gentrification uh, that we are. And so I think that we just tapped into something that is happening globally. Um, You know, we're all having a hard time, uh, you know, keeping up with rents, keeping up with property insurance, keeping up with our mortgages, finding a new place to live. Um, And so it's been interesting to have conversations afterwards and and people see themselves in our characters see themselves in Xavier see themselves in 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 junior um even though this is such a a hyper specific culture mm-hmm. and people and neighborhood um it has been able to ha- sort of have wings and 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 have a spotlight on what's going on you know, across the country. Yeah, there's so many issues that could spin off into their own thing. Like, like Junior's whole story is, you know, this uh, is adult, this young adult who has to live at home with his parents because mm-hmm. it's too expensive to to have his own place. Um, and that's part of his comedy set. And it's really funny uh, in the movie. But, like, it makes me think about, like, what are, what are some of the other, like, what's next? Like, what kind of other things are you thinking about 
uh, that could like hold their own place as, a, as an idea. There are things from here that spun off into other ideas that you're working on. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we've been so wrapped up in the making of this film. We mm. haven't moved on to like our next project yet. But I'm always thinking about Miami infrastructure and housing in different ways um, and development. Um, it's something that I, I think about all the time. And I think there could be like really interesting conversations on um, slum lords, for example, mm -hmm. or like really insidious uh political dealings that are happening in terms of like you know moving people out and, and getting these buildings made um, so I think that's something that I, I want to continue to uh, explore in different ways but also just like the history of Miami is so interesting to me um, I think there's so many stories that even we as Miamians don't know mm -hmm. about like really interesting tales and so like I would love to do like a period piece um, whether it's about I don't know Miami base or whether it's about um, immigration you know uh, from Haitians or, or Cubans you know I think there's there's, it's just so rich. There's so much untapped potential here. And, like, I can't really wait to get my feet wet and, like, just start putting those on screen. It, I imagine it's part interesting, part that lends itself to the film is when you have conversations with other people that end up influencing the movie. Like, I'm thinking of, like, Junior's Comedy. Like, when you bring in a comedian, like, they have things that they find funny and interesting, that stories that they're telling. When you're when you're doing that, like, did, it, did that influence any part of the the narrative of the of, or even just the writing like all right he, we're just going to let him do his comedy set here or or did you guys write that together i'm i'm curious about that here's the thing about chris that's so funny um first of all i'm so happy that we found him i found him on like a tiktok that went viral during the pandemic <laughs> um and so when we called him for the audition the first thing he said was when I read the description of the character, I thought that you guys were following me because every single thing is like, I did drop out of college and I do live with my parents and I do have a tense relationship with my dad because of uh, dropping out of college. And I do have aspirations to be a stand-up comedian. So that was just, you know, a sort of mythical, mystical aspect of the film that, you know, came to pass where we cast junior we found junior and we cast junior it, it also kind of say has to say to you we're on the right track right if, yeah if we're reflecting people's actual narratives act, people's actual lives we're, mm -hmm. we're doing something right mm -hmm. i think yeah it, it total accident and we didn't really change much of his character that was chris and chris was junior i think the only thing that changed was we weren't sure if we wanted junior to actually be really good or not <laughs> <laughs> and then so meeting chris and you know i think after the audition he's like i actually have a show later this week i'd love for you guys to come and i saw him and i was like this is the funniest comedian my I, I feel very confident in saying that that is like he's the funniest local comedian um, he's he's like a star. He is like a, a, a star, star in the like we're going to be talking about him in, I, I in really five years. Hope is like so. a is like a I huge deal. So. Yeah, there's other comedians in that too, right? Like because mm -hmm. it's like an open mic night. Tell me about some of them because they were great too. Yeah, you know, I th we we wanted to 
it was twofold. We actually, to sh- uh, shoot that scene, we actually had a, a real show. So, like, the audience were people that came to watch a complete show. And uh, we were able to, like, help with uh, the cost of the venue in order to have those people come. Oh, so you actually put on we a put comedy on event. We put on an actual comedy event. And, like, we shot it like a comedy special, pretty much. And so, yeah, we wanted to tap into, like, all the local comedians that we knew. Um, Maddie Cooper, who is the comedian that comes right before Junior, um, she's actually a good friend that, was sort of like my entry point into the comedy scene in Miami. Hmm. So I just felt like it was so important to have her there. Um, but another comedian there was Raul Colom, was <laughs> Robert's cousin. Oh, that's so funny. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Who, you know, it's funny. There's the whole thing about um, Junior's cousin, Farrell, who mm-hmm. has like the camera and he's like filming um, Junior. That was Robert. Robert was filming Raul's sets when he first started. Oh, so their relationship is a little mirrored on... Exactly. There's a lot of mirrors. There's a lot of mirrors. Um, And so, yeah, I I think we just wanted to shine a light on this scene that's really interesting in a lot of ways. Interesting because it's... it's, It feels very underground. It feels very local. um, But also interesting because, you know, we wanted Junior to sort of reflect our experience as um, immigrant first-gen kids who have aspirations that go beyond the nine-to-five. And I think filmmaking was too serious. So it's like, what would really enrage Xavier? <laughs> Let's make him be a comedian. So it, we were able to, like, find all of these uh, ideas and all these paths and, like, put them into uh, Junior and Chris's story. I, I'm curious about the own uh, your own uh, the parent in your own life. Um, mm-hmm. You know who saw you grow up as a as a kind of an only child and really into the creative uh, you know aspect of it. What is what is her reaction? Has it been like Xavier or has it been more like mom? No, you know I I grew up not only with my mother but also her brother, my uncle, mm-hmm. um, in the house, and so they've both seen this from when I was a young child, and mm-hmm. I think they both have been scared in their own ways not in the really disappointed way that Xavier Xavier is but um more so in like trying to pivot like have you thought about entertainment law you know that's that's close or <laughs> what about nursing just just in case you know like I think there was definitely a fear of failure and poverty filmmaker with a background in nursing exactly exactly um but you know the next er based in miami exactly (laughs) i was like i don't think that's gonna work mom (laughs) but you know one of the lines in there comes from my family when uh the scene when junior comes home and and xavier says are you sure you're on the right path that's right from my life and like i just remember getting asked that question and like feeling like a sort of need to prove myself like okay you don't think that the work I'm doing behind the scenes is going to amount to something and, and you're worried um, but it's only like you know uh, making me it's only applying pressure to make me work harder and like prove that like you know this is something that has legs and that I could be successful in and it was something all along where you felt like you were building towards this it seemed like you're mm-hmm. like if you hold on I'm yes. going to show you. I'm I'm getting there. Yeah, and everything that 
that Junior says. It's like, this takes time, you know, like that whole argument. That's that's me and Robert. We're talking to our families like, I know we're broke. <laughs> I know <laughs> this doesn't look like we're getting very far, but I promise you, like, this is just how things are. We have a vision, you know, we'll get there. But that's that's so much of the the creative element, no matter what it is, you know, we, we had a we had an artist in here, uh, Jason Safe, who does these incredible, you know, he's at the PAM right now and does these incredible painted on concrete mm-hmm. mosaics, you know, uh, I guess you could say. And um, and his was a long time coming. And it was like one of those things like you have to projects like that take time. Yeah. And I guess is that is that something that kind of you see mirroring in, in like a creative community, like where you have to so much of it is is building a background in it before you can do your own thing, express your own view. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I see a lot of uh, impatience, mm. um, you know, uh, and it, it just makes you want to give up to, like, not be able to have the proper infrastructure to be able to take that next step. And, like, people are waiting. Like, you said you're a filmmaker. Where's the film, you know? Mm. Um but I think that collectively, I feel as though I'm seeing a growth in all of us. And I think that soon, um, with more resources uh, and more films, honestly, like Miami and Miami filmmakers are going to be, you know, a force to reckon with. I think, you know, as I said earlier, we have a very strong voice and a, a very strong outlook. And um, I see the work is getting rewarded, you know. I. I think we're happy that our uh, mountains has received some awards, but so many of our shorts and so many of our features, you know, every, I think we are four features in, in the, into the Ulite cohort. All of us have awards, you know? Oh, like, the different cohorts that are part of that. There, there are other ones and they're all, they're mm-hmm. all making features of their own feature, yeah, yeah, feature yeah. length films. Yeah. We're all making features. I'm like the fourth feature out. We've all won something at a different festival, whether it's Best Film at, you know, New York Latino Film Festival or at Miami Film Festival or Atlanta, you know, Best Actor, you know, like people are taking notice and I think it's just continuing to apply that pressure and just showing people who we are and, and, and making it happen for us. What What would you like to see happen next? Like what could really help the industry take, take the next step? Like what needs to happen, do you think, for Miami to take that next step and and continue to be a player? I think we definitely, I mean, the tax incentive really uh, made us take a hit in terms of, you know, we don't have as much crew as we used to have Mm. in Miami. A lot of them left and went to Atlanta. Um, I think bringing that back is happening on the local level, but it's only really for um, huge uh, films like you know I think the minimum is like a million dollar budget which most of us don't have access to yet and so I would love to see maybe on a government level a little bit more support in terms of tax incentives for the micro budget film for the film that's $300,000 or less you know um, I think that would really help um, incentivize filmmaking here um, I love what Ulight's doing um, and I love their mission I think you know, we could definitely kick it up a notch and and get a lot of industry eyes here um, to sort of invest in us and, 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 you know, get our stories on the screen. Not only get them made, but get them seen um, and get them distributed. Um, That's something that I don't think 
we're completely at yet with the local features that have been made. Um, but I think that would be a complete game changer for all the local filmmakers in Miami. Monica, it's been great to get a chance to talk with you about your new film. Thank you so much for coming in and spending time with us. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Our guest today was Monica Sorrell. She's a Haitian-American filmmaker from Miami, and she's a, currently an artist-in-residence at Ulite Arts. Her first feature film, Mountains, premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. And that's Sundial for October 16th. Leslie Obay Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News, and Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Mertz is WLRN's VP of Radio. Engineering our board is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up tomorrow on the program, Hispanic Heritage Month is technically over, but not for us. We're talking to the host of NPR's Alt Latino. They celebrated with Tiny Desk Concerts, and we'll hear from one of their conversations with the Chicana pop star, Becky G. I'm Carlos Frias. Good vibes only. WLRN Public Media.